Uh, this morning, as we get started, we're going to have a little thing I'll call God's View. Um, and I want to start off, we've been in this series called uh, Ancient Families, Modern Problems. And one of the things I've said in the midst of the series is that um, all of the relationships in our lives are shaping influences in our lives in one way or the other. That relationships, uh, close ones, relationships, far ones, but close ones especially, have the opportunity to shape who we are and who we become. And certainly that's true of moms and of mothers. And so what I wanted to do at the start of, uh, actually as part of my message this morning, is just have some moms come up and talk about the question of how, how being a mom has shaped who they are in God. How being a mom has taught them about God. So I'm just going to pick some moms at random out of the audience. No, I'm joking. That would be awful, right? That would be awful. There are four plants out there somewhere. There are four ladies I've already talked to. Would you please come forward and would you welcome these moms to the stage as they come? They were, some of them might have been hoping I was just going to pick other four other ladies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, we have been, uh, so you guys, we have been talking a little bit and I've emailed and heard from these ladies a little bit about this question here. What have you learned about God through your role as a mom and how has God used motherhood to shape you into his image? And each of these, I'll let them introduce themselves. I won't say too much about them though. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd love to speak about them. They're all great moms in different uh, spheres of life and in different ways, some grandmas and mothers, and uh, how God has used that. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and jump into this question. And then, so there's only one microphone, but I want to encourage some discussion. If you hear something someone else says, and uh, not to call them a liar or anything like that, but <laughs> no, you want to affirm that. You want to be like, yes, you can. You can. So this is. Uh, we want to do that this morning. Um, so I'm going to let whoever wants to start off, you can jump in, introduce yourself, and then talk about this question that we've raised. So who's going to jump in first? My name is Veronica Bailey, and I have four kids. Um, oh, God, <laughs> has worked in me. As a mom, it's a fully loaded question because there's so much that you could talk about. But for me, it's letting go and let God be God. As a mother, you're a little hen and you're protective of your kids and you hold them close. And at this point in my life, I'm nearing the empty nest with one child of four at home. Letting go and letting God is something that I'm learning right now through my kids and in what God is teaching me. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about the plan and the purpose that God has for us. And with the plan and the purpose, you can go in the future with extra baggage. Uh, 
Hebrews 12, 1 talks about the race we run as Christians. I've never seen the people on the marathon running with baggage. <laughs> they go with the lightest thing possible. And so to be able to glean the purpose and the plan that God has for me, it's letting go and let God be God. Thank you, Veronica. So for you, um, you have to trust. There's a level of trust there. And uh, there's only so much you can do as a mom. And you've got to give it over to God. Thank you, Veronica, for sharing. Yeah. Liz, you want to go next? Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Um, Along the same lines, I've just, I've learned so much that God is just such a big God. Um, There is so much that I as a mom or anybody as a mother, you know, is going to miss. We can't be there every second um, of our children's lives uh, right by their side. And God is a big God. And, you know, I'm a single mom, but I know that this is true for even mothers who are married that oftentimes we just need to lay our worries at the feet of God and just let them evaporate and know that God is going to fill in those spaces that we can't. Um, You know, I may be a single mom, but I'm not parenting alone. Um, And I think that is very true, um, even of every mom. Um, Another thing, you know, they are my children, and I love them dearly, but they are, and they were God's children first. And as much as I love them, God loves them more. Um, And... You know, I think even, you know, of myself, and I know this is kind of extending it a little bit, but, um, you know, even as, as our children leave the house, you know, just to continually, constantly, actively praying and praying circles around our children, um, you know, I know there were several years that I was not following Christ, and, and who I am today is a product of praying parents. Um, so that is just so important. Um, You know, I know this is a a verse that was actually mentioned quite a bit yesterday, and I had it in my notes already. It was Psalm 127, 1. Um, You know, unless the Lord builds the house, uh, those who build it labor in vain. Um, And so it's just so important to invite the Holy Spirit into our home to live and to move um, and just to give that control over, uh, and that will allow us to shape our homes for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth. I know. <laughs> I know. Hard to believe. <laughs> I am Therese Anderson Weir. I have 12 children. <laughs> I have um, four grandchildren. I've been a mother for over 30 years. Um, the kids that you see separated there are our three newest children. We just flew home from the Ukraine on Tuesday um, with our three children. I wanted to come at this on a different angle than parenting is what I've learned and I've learned unfortunately the very hard way is you need to keep your husband before your children it's very easy for us as mothers to want to protect and to we think because we've either birthed them or we're the mother we believe that our children, we know most about the children. And that's not true. That's why he gave a father and a mother. We have to be careful to become one when we get married. Please remember that. We don't become one with our children. Please remember that. I learned that the hard way. 
And also remember that fathers parent differently, period. Please remember that. Just pause. Just pause right there. Pregnant pause. Yes. We need to understand that when we go to the altar, what we do is we think our husbands, it's a good start. Right? And that we're going to change them. Well, sweethearts, you're not going to. Even as mothers, we try to change them to be a different parent than who God has created them to be. So remember, and again, I learned this the hard way, and God's pretty much told me maybe I need to change. I remember back in Minnesota, I was on my face before the Lord, pleading to God to change my husband. And what did God tell me? Oh, sweetheart, (laughs) take a look in the mirror. So remember that. If you need, if you think your husband isn't parenting the way you think he should be parenting, get on your face before the Lord and let him show you. One final thing I want to make sure we all understand because me as as a mother and me as a female was not raised this way. We always think, what does the world need? The world needs love, right? Well, I'm telling you, men need respect more than they need our love, period. Mm -hmm. That's how men are. And we need to model that in front of our children. We need Mm -hmm. to model respect, especially if you are a mother with girls. They need to see us not criticize our husbands in front of the girls because guess what? The girls will model that behavior and start and criticize their fathers, criticize their boyfriends, their husbands, etc. We have to learn to not criticize our husbands. We need to respect them. Men need respect. Those are the three things that God has showed me, believe me, the hard way. Mm. Thank you, Therese. Thank you for sharing. I have a ton of follow-up questions, but I want to okay. I'm just gonna let you go. Yeah. I know we're limited time. That looks like the first time you said you had 12 children. (laughs) You could tell from the look on your face. Um, My name is Sandra Libby. I have a slightly smaller family of only five children. Um, And this was a really hard to think about because I'm like, there's so many lessons. Like, how can I just pick one or two? (laughs) Um, But something I'm learning now, I've got a couple boys that are getting a little bit older that want to have more conversation. And so I'm learning to... Keep the lines of communication open more. Um, I think I'm learning to uh, keep that continual with them as they ask questions, as they want to know things about you and how you made decisions or didn't make decisions. Um, And I've learned to keep that conversation going. When you do that, that builds the relationship. That builds the trust. And in turn, it will teach them to... Uh, or direct them to make wise choices now and in the future. So I'm kind of learning that as they're getting a little bit older. My oldest is 12, my youngest is one. So we're kind of getting to that cool place where we can have these conversations, um, but just to keep them going. But it reminds me that I need to be doing that with my father. There needs to be a continual conversation with my own father. He wants nothing more. You know, he wants us to sit at his feet. My heavenly father wants me to sit at his feet to have that conversation, to ask questions, to seek his word so that I in turn will make wise choices now 
and wise choices in the future. So that's something that's um, kind of ongoing with me right now. Um, the second part of the question was, how has, how has God used motherhood to shape you into his image? And the only word that comes to my mind is grace. Grace, grace, grace. Second <laughs> um, Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, uh, or yeah, kind of, you guys will know it. <laughs> um, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I'm not calling my children a thorn in my side. Just <laughs> bear with me. Um, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This has been such a, you know, those behaviors and sins in our lives and our kids' life that don't go away, that just like keep coming back and rearing their ugly head. And you're like, okay, I've got that. I'm good. We're, we're doing that. No. And it shows up again three months later or a year later. I thought we dealt with this, but I feel like God keeps those things so you can see his grace. No, I'm going to forgive you again. I'm going to give you grace again. And so I in turn have learned I also need to give that grace again. I need to forgive again for the same things. And so that verse has meant um, a lot to me. So, uh, And the second part of that that I've learned is I can't do that, though, in my own strength. I can't do that in my own power. And this was a real eye-opener for me. Um, I'm going to read it, too, because I'm not as good as memorizing scripture as those JBQers are. So I'm going to just read it. Um, Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 says, and his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. How awesome that the same power and strength that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power and strength that I have living in little old me, just a mom. <laughs> that was such an eye opener for me. And I learned that, um, I need to, I need to like draw on that strength because it's the only way that I'm going to be able to forgive, um, my kids when sometimes, you know what? I don't feel like it <laughs> again. So that's been a real eye opener for me that I can do this thing called motherhood because of his power and because of his strength. And I need to continually die to myself. We talk about this trees a lot, die to yourself, um, and let him, let his power work. So that's been huge, huge to learn. Elizabeth, yeah. Um, it just reminds me, you know, we talk a lot about sitting at the feet of Jesus, um, and just how much motherhood, I think parenting in general is just such a journey of humility. Um, and we actually talked about this in our class on Wednesday night, learning humbly. Uh, we were talking about learning humbly, um, and just you know, remembering that God is a God of perfect wisdom and that we are not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember, if I have time to tell a little story. <laughs> so uh, I remember I had, you know, spent several years in that sp- kind of place of uh, single parenthood dysfunction junction and, um, uh, you know, not following Jesus. And then I, I turned my life back to Jesus. And after that, I remember praying to God and saying, God, you know, how am I going to turn this around? You know, my daughter was seven at the time. I had spent so many years not praying for my kids, not praying with my kids. And I said, how am I going to do this? How am I going to turn this into a godly home? And God so clearly responded, not you. Hmm. I, I am going to come into your home. 
you just need to give it up. You need to give up the control um, and just sit humbly at my feet and learn. And um, through that process, you know, God will come in and heal the broken places and redeem the, the lost conversations and, and those lost places. Um, so it's never too late, I guess, is That's what good. I wanted to say. It's That's never good. too late. Thank you, Elizabeth. Did you have any follow-up questions? A question? Anything to say? No. You're good? I'll say something. Okay. <laughs> I always surprise him. Um, I think kind of along the lines that these ladies uh, shared, one of the lessons I've learned is how much God loves us. I never understood that relationship as God, as our father, as, and then us as his children, until I had children of my own. And how when Isaac was little... It took us several years to have him. I'd come home from work, and I just wanted to sit in his room. Just sit there. He would be asleep or doing his own thing, and I just wanted to say, I just wanted to be in his presence. And now God wants us to be like that. I just want to sit in your presence, God. I just want to just be there. You don't even have to do anything. I just want to sit in your presence and how he loves us. And another thing, what Sandra was saying about grace all like, why did my kids do that? I told them not to. I know better. I know better. And it just drives your batty, right? And then I think, I do the same thing to God, right? I do the same dumb things over and over. But God's mercy and his grace and his love always shines through. Great. That was pretty good for putting you on the spot. Uh, I need to ask, we only have another minute or so, but uh, I don't want to let you guys go without asking. Therese, you said you just came home with uh, three kids from Ukraine. Uh, They're not your only adopted kids. Um, You have other adopted kids. And uh, would you just talk for a minute about why you do that? Why? (laughs) I would love to. And the thing thing is, I, I... absolutely sinned when I initially, you know, I'm, I'm in corporate America and people say, you know, oh, why do you adopt? And I would say, oh, you know, make up some dumb, dumb thing until God really convicted me of it. That's a way to witness. And the reason I adopt, um, James 127, take care of widows and orphans. But the reason we adopted also is because God called us. God called us separately because, of course, I opened my big fat mouth um, during some woman's thing, and I, I was about 40 years old at the time, and said, oh, I can't believe these women in their 40s having babies. I can't believe it. And that same minute, God actually called me to adopt. And I thought, well, that's just a woman thing. I must be going through pre-menopause. <laughs> so I kind of shoved it down and said, you know, that's just, you know, I'm not even going to say anything. So I didn't even say anything to David, my husband, because I thought, well, we have, because we had five boys at the time. I'm 40 years old. We have five boys in junior high and senior high. Why on God's green earth would somebody <laughs> my age have more kids, right? Because I'm going to save for my retirement, right? It's the, it's America. We save for retirement. We work our, well, you know, off and, <laughs> Then we get to live the good life, right? We retire, we golf, and we go down and do all these trips. And that's where I was in my relationship with the Lord is very much shallow ground. And I got home, didn't say a word. A week later, my darling husband comes out of a service and says to me, I had a vision in church. 
my stoic husband have a vision in church? No possible way. He doesn't even raise his hands. How can he possibly have a vision? And I'm in the car with him, and he says to me, I had a vision. You know those banners in the church? They say, look in the fields, they are ripe unto harvest. He said, those are little bundles of babies in China, and we need to go get them. Okay. Well, of course, I had to tell him my story. Because my story was the same thing. It was a little bundle. It was my little Morgan Glory, 14 years old now. Um, My calling was to China at the time, too. So God started us on the journey of adopting. And I'm telling you, it wasn't wasn't an easy journey. We thought we'd have all our kids by now. Um, We never thought we'd have another B-O-Y. But we ended up having one. Um, and even dozen, and God has walked through us. It was a hard journey, Uh, maybe not with Morgan. That was pretty easy, got little Morgan glory, Um, got little Madison, but the other journeys, it was hard. Um, Countries got closed down. Um, We never thought we'd be now. I'm going to be 56 tomorrow. I'm 56 years old, and I just adopted three kids. Are you kidding me? Because... (laughs) God has a different plan for us. He's going to take us farther than what we can think of. He's going to make me understand that I can't take money and grip it. It's free. Let it flow. God will provide. God will provide. I, yeah, will I have that you know, second home down south and all this now with, three, with 12 kids? Yeah, probably not. But I wouldn't change a minute of it. You've got to let go and let God just handle everything in your life, mm. absolutely everything, from your money to your relationships mm. to every single child you have. Let it go. Let God have it. Your adult children, your grandchildren, your children at home, your relationship with your husband, let God have it. Get on your face before the Lord. Mothers, wives, he will take care of it, not us. Amen. 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 Mount Hope, Hope, God calls us to live on mission in every aspect of our lives. And it's not just when we walk into these doors on a Sunday morning. It starts when we walk out of these doors and your family situation, your neighborhood, your work situation, God has called us to live on mission. And that's what I've heard from each of these moms, that God has given you a mission. That's part of your mission to be a mom and to fulfill that. God is using it to shape you. You're changed because you're a mom. I hear that in you. And God is not done. So thank you for sharing. Would you thank each of these moms today for sharing with us today? Are you going to preach now? No. no. <laughs> I'm not either, but I've got a short message for you this morning. And these ladies have already uh, shared a ton, and that's, I've got a lot to think about uh, now uh, after that. Um, but um, it's amazing to see the way God works, and God works in our lives. And so thank you, all uh, you moms who have shared 
Um, appreciate what you've shared today. I'm just going to take a couple minutes. I don't have a full message. That was part of the message today, what you heard. I wanted you to hear how God uses different relationships to shape us and to mold us. I've just got one thought for you today, and uh, it starts with this question, what do you do when all you have to do is more than you can do? What do you do when all you have to do is more than you can do? What do you do when you're overwhelmed? What do you do when you have so much on your plate that you don't know how you're going to handle it? Uh, That happens for all of us, right? We all get to places at times where we're overwhelmed. We all get to places at times where we've got things we have to do, but it seems like it's more than we can do. I heard that a couple times from these moms who are up here today. You know, it's a big task. There's a lot in front of you, but it's important. What do you do at times when there's all you have to do is more than you can do? Um, There's a uh, for, for moms and for women, I think this comes particularly, not that I'm speaking from experience, but from observation, and, uh, but it seems particularly to come into place that the burdens felt seem sometimes overwhelming, um, whether it's being a mom, whether it's being a wife, whether it's being in the workplace or taking care of the home. Uh, recent surveys have showed that uh, as far as like household chores, uh, it used to be a lot different. Uh, women, no matter whether they were moms or working or not, used to take care of almost all the household uh, chores. That's uh, not the case anymore in the, in the current society, the studies that are showing, but it still shows the most recent studies that women end up taking care of more um, in, in the home. So there's that uh, taking care of parenting, taking care of the household stuff. Uh, if you work, doing work, uh, family relationships, it all comes in and it can be a lot. So what do you do? when all that you have to do is more than you can do at times. Well, there's some women recently that have given some advice uh, and written some things on it. And one, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, some of you might have heard her. Sheryl Sandberg wrote a book called Leaning In. It came out a few years ago. She's the COO of Facebook. And Sheryl Sandberg, Harvard graduate, uh, worked in government, worked in business. Uh, She uh, has worked in a lot of different fields. She's also a mom. And uh, she seems to have it all together in a lot of ways from the outside. And so she wrote this book, Leaning In. And she wrote it to women. And her message to women is, hey, you, you can have it all, basically, is the message. You got to lean in to your situation. You've got to, you know, look, if you're in the workplace, you know, you figure out how to have your kids, your family, uh, and balance that and be in the workplace, lean into every opportunity, lean into every, everything that's given, uh, given you that you can go after it. And in fact, Cheryl Sandberg's message is, hey, for women say, I will, I can, I'll do it. You lean into the situation. And as you can imagine, when Sandberg released that book, there was some backlash that came from some other women, and other women had a different perspective. Uh, and one woman's name actually graduated with Sheryl Sandberg from Harvard. Uh, her name was Rosa Brooks, and uh, she wrote an article kind of in response, as many people did in response, and, and she, Rosa Brooks' uh, take was, I'm not going to lean in. In fact, her take was, lean back. She said, look, women, you've done enough for so long. You've been doing everything. You've been doing so much. You've been taking care of so much. Forget that leaning in. Lean back. Lean out. Recline. You don't have to do everything. And she wrote an article, and and there were a lot of others that came out that said a similar thing that just said, no, you don't have to lean in. You're supposed to lean back. You know, lean back. Don't, Don't buy into that. 
And so there's these different advice coming from different ways. You lean in, you lean back, you know, it's, it, what are you going to do in those, in those situations? What will you do? Because there are times when you have things in your life to do that seem like there's too much for you to do. And the reality is there are times in everyone's life where you will have things that are too important to ignore, but they feel like they're too overwhelming to do. There's too much to do, but it's too important to ignore. You have something in your life that comes up. You'll have times in your life situation that come up where something is too big to handle, but too important to ignore. And what do you do in that situation? Sandberg says, lean in. You just, you just got to go after it. Brooks says, lean back. You, you, can't, you can't do everything, just lean back. But there are times when things that are, they'll come into your life, they're too big to handle, but too important to ignore. What do you do in that moment? Let me read you a brief scripture of a woman in the Bible who came up against something overwhelming in her life, something that in her life was too important to ignore, but was too big for her to handle. Her name is Hannah, and her story is found in 1 Samuel And I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. Hannah's main issue was that uh, she couldn't have children. She wasn't able to have children, and she wanted to desperately. And in her time and in her society, not only did she want to, there were huge stigmatisms and things against her for not being able to have children, not being able to give her husband children. In fact, her husband could just divorce her and leave her on her own um, for not having children. It doesn't seem from the story that's what... Elkanah, her husband, would do, but they could in that society. I mean, it was, it was a huge thing, and she wanted to have children. This was a, a problem for her that was overwhelming, and I know there's women in here that may feel like you're in the same situation um, and uh, feel that pain or have felt that burden, but what did Hannah do in that situation? Uh, she's at a feast, at a religious feast with her husband, and uh, it says, I'm going to pick it up in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. So her husband is Elkanah. You ought to know this. Uh, Elkanah also has another wife named Penina. Not to like get too far down this road. It'll blow your mind, I know. Uh, but so, so Elkanah's got two wives, Penina and Hannah. And Penina has children, and Hannah does not. And Penina rubs it in the face of Hannah constantly uh, that she is not able, that Hannah's not able to have children. I say that because you'll read this story and you'll be like, hey, Pastor Rick didn't say the guy had two wives. What's going on here? Uh, I want to say that because sometimes you'll come across in the Bible things that the Bible describes but doesn't necessarily condone, okay? Just because God uses somebody in the Bible doesn't mean he condones all of their actions that take place in the Bible. In fact, when you look at biblical times, polygamy at times was fairly common practice in some of the worlds, but it's never approved of in Scripture. It's never promoted or condoned by God. And honestly, if you look at the stories, it never ends well. Like, things never go good. Like, you never read the story of a husband with multiple wives, and you're like, yeah, that seems like a good deal. Let's go that way. It never, like, it's not, it, it, it's not good. Uh, but it doesn't keep God from using people at times uh, in situations that the Bible describes where they're living. And so it's not going well for Elkanah either, because his wife, Penina, is really giving Hannah a, a hard time. So they go to this religious feast, and this is what First Samuel chapter 1, verse 9 says. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. 
She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. In the middle of this passage, there's this one scripture, 1 Samuel 1, 15, and the beginning of that verse says, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. This is her situation. She's overwhelmed. She's got a situation that is too big for her to handle, but too important for her to ignore. She's overwhelmed. In fact, in other parts of the scripture, it describes her emotional state, deeply distressed, bitterly she wept, troubled in spirit, and overwhelmed in her situation. It's an emotional thing. This is how you know when you're in a place that is too big for you to handle. There are some things in your life that'll come up and you just need to figure them out. You just need to get them done. You just need to come up with a strategy. You just need to put your heads together maybe in a, in a family and figure it out. You know, things like, you know, we'll, I can think with Wendy and I in our house, you know, we, we're both working late and somebody's got to get to soccer practice, right? We don't have to get emotionally disturbed over that. We just got to figure it out, right? You, you, you compromise, you come up with a schedule, you come up with a strategy and you do it. But then there's other things in your life that come up and they just break you emotionally. And these words that are said about Hannah, you feel deeply disturbed, trouble, distress. She uses the word vexation. I don't know when the last time you've been vexed was, but that seems pretty powerful, right? She, she, she is, and, and so much so that she's praying with her mouth and the priest takes her for being drunk because she's just, words aren't even coming out. She's so overwhelmed. And here's the thing. What does Hannah do in her situation where she is troubled in spirit and deeply distressed? Well, the rest of the verse in uh, chapter 1, verse 15 says this. I'm troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She's troubled in spirit, something too big for her to handle, but too important for her to ignore, so what does she do? She can't do what Cheryl Sandberg said. She can't just lean into the situation because she can't change it on her own. The people who are closest to her can't change her situation. Her husband can't change her situation. Her friends, her family member can't change her situation. It's too big for her to handle. It's a problem and she can't do anything about it in her own strength. But it's too important to ignore it's too important to ignore. She can't, she can't do what Rosa Brooks says. She can't just lean back. She can't bow out. She can't recline. 
She can't just say, oh, no big deal, forget it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna focus on something else. I'm gonna do something else because for her, in her situation, it's too big to handle, but it's too important to ignore. So she can't lean in, she can't lean out. So what does Hannah do? She leans on and she leans on God and she leans on him and on his power and on what he's able to do. And so she knows that there's nothing that she can do about it but she trusts that there's something that God can do about it. And what's interesting in this passage, and I'm not gonna go into it too much, but you have this juxtaposition of Hannah and Eli. And Eli is supposed to be this man of God, this priest who's close to God, and Hannah is a childless woman, which if you look at the societal ladder in that society, puts them basically at opposite poles. The the priest who's able to go into the Holy of Holies, the woman who's not even able to go into the temple. And yet, she cries out to God, and God hears her. And God hears her. And so at the end of this, she says, she says to Eli, you know, I'm troubled in spirit, I'm praying, I'm not drunk, I'm I'm just crying out to God. And how she leaves. How she leaves, the end of this in verse 18, how she leaves is important to note because the end of this, she says this. Do you have verse 18 there? Yeah. She says, I'm not sure if that's there. I can't read it right there. Let me read it from here. Verse 18, it says, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. Here's what's interesting to me. Her situation had not changed in that instance. She was not pregnant when she got up and walked away. She was still childless Hannah in that moment. And yet she wasn't eating before and she got up and ate. And yet she was sad and bitter and distressed and overwhelmed and vexed and all these things before. And now it says her face was no longer sad. So what changed in that instant? The only thing that changed in that moment is she knew God had heard her prayer. And she knew God had heard her. And because she knew that God had heard her, it changed her situation And so it wasn't lean in, I can and I will. And it wasn't lean out, I won't and I can't. It was lean on and it's he can and he's able and he will. And that's what you do when you find yourself in a situation where all you have to do is more than you can do. You don't just lean on and try and be stronger and do it all in your own strength. You don't just lean back because it's too important and you're too serious about the mission God has given you to do that. You lean on and you reach out to him in intimacy, in passion. You make commitments. She says she vowed to the Lord. She made commitments. She reaffirmed her commitment to God. And God calls us to do this. He gives us invitations all through scripture to do this. 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, Jesus' words in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden and light is light. And what Jesus does in that passage is he recognizes the burden you will feel in life, but he gives you an invitation to come to him and cast it on him and take a burden from him that is light and easy, for he carries the burden with you and for you. And so if you're in here this morning and you feel like all you have to do is more than you can do, the answer is not to lean in or to lean back, but the answer is to lean on the God who loves you and cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this time in your presence. I thank you for... Uh, these moms who have shared their stories that are your story, really, Lord, because our stories are just chapters in your great story that you are telling, Lord. And I thank you for hearing a little bit of insight into each of these moms of how you've worked and how you're working in their lives. And Lord, we ask that you continue to bless them. And uh, Lord, for each of us in here, that at times feel like we are carrying a burden that is more than we are able to carry. That at times feel like we have more to do than we possibly can do. Lord, I pray for those who are in here this morning that are feeling that way, that God, we would understand that what you've called us to do is not to take it all on, but not to let it all go. But Lord, to lean on you, to come to you in prayer, to come to you with our requests, to come to you and you will hear us. And because you are a good father, because you are a good Lord, we can trust you with those things that are concerns of ours. We can trust you with those things that are so important to us that we cannot ignore them. Those things that are so personal, something is personal as a desire to be a mom or a dad. Lord, those personal things, we can trust that you hear, that you are good, that you are loving, that you are leading in our lives, God. And even though we may walk out these doors this morning and it may look like our situation has not yet changed, what we know is the God of the universe has heard our prayer and he can be trusted with our concerns. So we thank you for that. And we ask you to continue to lead us and help us to lean on you in Christ's name. Amen.